Hello, and welcome to Tell Me About Your D&D Character, a podcast where people get a chance to talk about the characters from different role-playing games. I'm your host, Jeremy, and today my guest is Brendan Lyle. Brendan is from the Adventuring with Advantage Discord community, or role-playing community, I should say, where he's built an amazing way of people finding games and doing a new form of role-play, I feel it is. It's, it's kind of a mix of, of online play and the West Marches campaign and play-by-post, and I think it is such a great idea. It's all about D&D, and we kind of get onto a couple of other systems that might work as well. Uh, for Again, after the episode ended, Brandon and I were just talking about all these other potential ways that, that he could use it um, and ways that I want to play it as well. Uh, so I'll let Brendan talk for himself during the episode, uh, and he actually approached me through through the um, through the email address, which is tellmeaboutyourdnd at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at tellmeyourdnd, and Facebook and Instagram, which is at tellmeaboutyourdnd. You can also find us on all the usual places that you find podcasts, but I want to say so much, so thank you so much for listening to my podcast. It is a real joy when people come and say that they've they've enjoyed an episode uh, and they hadn't thought about this person playing Dungeons & Dragons before. So if you know someone, get in touch. If you see there's someone, an author, a a musician, uh, anyone really in that you think would be interesting to hear their story of how they got into D&D and what they're doing with the game, yeah, let me know. So, uh, until next time, I'll catch you on the other side of the podcast. Always behind. You can kind of just uh, limit it to that day, though. If you, You're always going to be behind. This is the, the problem oh, yeah. of being a dungeon master. <laughs> it's like you're always behind. And even when you catch up, you have a session and then you're behind again because you've gone through everything. Exactly right. It's just that never ending cycle of chaos that we just love to get ourselves stuck into. Oh yeah. This is why improv is such a big deal for dungeon masters. Cause you have to, and if you can improv a whole session, yeah. you're suddenly ahead. You've got stuff prepared for, for the future. Yeah. It's wonderful. I always find one of my downsides is I like to improv too much, mm-hmm. but then because you get so caught up in the moment, I always forget to take notes, yes. which then means when I'm going back on my reflection, I'm like, okay, so what did we actually do? And then I'll have to try and pick my players' brains to be like, okay, let's see who was actually paying attention. And oh, then yeah. depending on how they interpret it, I'll then go, actually, that's better what I was intending. I'll just quickly throw that in there. And it just makes me seem like that was what was planned when actually I had no idea. Oh, no, we, we never have any idea of what's, what's no, happening. I- and the number of times my players have come back, don't you remember when this person said this? I'm like, yes, yes, I do. Yeah, you you just, remembered it. Mm-hmm. Well done. And I'm just like, yeah. shit. <laughs> Frantically <laughs> rolling through my notebook. Did, did I say that? Are yeah. they just bullshitting me? Do you find that it's... Because I'm guessing you're going to be running more games online for for Adventuring with Advantage and, and streaming and things. Do you find it's more work to prep for online games or do you think it's less work? Oh, it's definitely more work. So at the moment, I've probably got five games going at once. Oh, God, I thought you were going to say five five players. God, five games going at once. No wonder you have no time to prep. Yeah, Yeah. but it's. I find it just is fueling my addiction because... So on my Mondays, I will prep for what the players are doing. So when I post my job... 
because I do basically job posts. So players will know what they're getting into ahead of time. So I'll have that little bit of prep already done so that when players go, cool, this team is going to go on this job on Thursday. I'm like, cool. I just have to make sure that I have enough for that one session on Thursday and then I should be fine. But it's just making sure that I'm always on top of that so that the session doesn't roll around and then I go, ooh, now I'm really behind. (laughs) But it's intense, but I love it. It's so good. Yeah. It's like always, always pushing the envelope or living on that knife edge. And But it's good because because you are kind of running that knife edge all the time, you're really pumped because it's still fresh in your mind when the adventure comes up. It's like, I've just yeah. planned this. That's Sometimes I'll go into an adventure that I've literally just finished typing things up and it's like, cool, now I'm in the car, now I'm there, I'm setting up, everything's ready to go, I'm going to run this because it's right there to... I'm feeling inspired by it right now and I want to see how it Yeah, runs. it's fresh in your mind, yeah. ready to go, where if you plan something too far ahead... You start second guessing. You're like, Ooh, is this encounter going to be too hard? Is this going to be too boring? And then, you know, days go on and you're like, oh, I'll go and change it and do this and do that. Where you because start to I find the intent. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, but then it's also good because I also work with multiple dungeon masters. We are constantly talking about this and that. And, oh, what if this town had this specific thing? And I'm like, that's perfect because that will tie into this job that I'm going over here. So we're almost collectively prepping to make yeah. all of our jobs easier. So we're okay. less likely having to improv all the time. I think that is something that dungeon masters need, just a community of other dungeon masters, just to bounce ideas off as well. And even if it's yeah, just something just like... think tank. Yeah, even if it's like just saying, hey, I think about throwing a Medusa at this level group or it'll be really cool for this part of the story and that can spark someone else's idea or they can come back with a story saying, oh, I did this and when I tried this tactic, it didn't work. Or yeah, they had this motivation and everyone was really into it. So yeah, it's I love being able to have those ideas come back and I think what you've got set up is exactly what a lot of Dungeon Masters need. Yeah, and it's good for exactly what you said. So for some of our initiate level jobs, which is one to three, there isn't a lot of things you can do with players from level one to three. So for example, I like some of the more interesting monsters, but if you throw a shambling mound at a group of level one players, they're just going to freak out and die because yeah, the they're, shambling they're mound. They're compost. Very exactly quickly. right. But then by talking about it, it's like, okay, so maybe we can make it so that it isn't the shambling mound that the metagamers are going to be like, Oh my God, we're freaking out because this is CR level, whatever. We, we change it just that little bit that they go, is this a shambling mound or is this something completely different? Mm. But yet then the level ones go, Ooh, this is quite challenging. They completely encounter go, man, that was, in, that was intense. Like, was that for level ones? I'm like, yes, <laughs> it definitely was. <laughs> it was definitely for you in particular. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Well, maybe- it's always nice to have the players feel so like, badass all the time they're like yeah we are these heroic adventurers that are going to go out there and just do things and it impact the world and it's it's even easier when you do have something like that that should be a lot tougher and after a tough fight they beat it a few levels later they come across one again but now it's the regular version and it's still a massive challenge and like oh wow we fought a baby one 
and yeah. and that was tough on us. Yeah. This is going to be even worse. So, it, mm. yeah, it's great to to break that overconfidence that can set in sometimes. Yeah, I because we're trying to do the collective world building. I just the imagery of having one player deal with my little initiate level mound and then four or five levels later they're on a random job and then the actual mound comes up and then the one player is immediately like whoa i've dealt with this before guys i think i know the tricks and then all of a sudden they're propped up a little bit and all the other players in the team are like oh yeah he we got to make sure we're doing what he's saying because he knows what he's talking about and instead of doing the whole, oh, can I roll a nature check to see how yeah. it is? I can just say, well, you, your character has experience. Yeah. Use that experience. That's totally fine. They perfect. go, yes, that's so cool. It's perfect for that in-game knowledge as well that they, they've come around. Yeah. Maybe, well, since we mentioned the collective world building and just this this um, think tank of DMs, maybe tell the listeners who might not be familiar with with what you do about the whole the whole concept, about the, the campaigns that you run and the, the groups that you have, or the idea behind okay. it anyway. Delve into my madness. So, <laughs> hello everyone. My name is Brendan. Uh, you can usually find me on the internet as Brendo's Brain on like Twitch and the YouTubes and all the socials, which is good fun. But what I'm doing at the moment, which is more on topic, is I am let you know. I'll fluff it up a bit. I am yeah. the realm master. So I am the Ooh, lead like designer in yeah in a project I'm working on called Adventuring with Advantage, which is where I've taken the the normal West Marches format that most people are familiar with when it comes to D&D. I, I will, I'll say for those who aren't familiar with the West Marches is where there's an adventure every week and it may not be the same players and characters coming through every time. You kind of, as though I always like to think of it as more of a, a city watch campaign where it's different shifts yes. of adventurers on. Yeah. So you may end up with a whole bunch of different people just kind of showing up and go, great, I've got the morning shift. Oh, we're doing this. I got the evening shift. Yeah. They're doing that with a different group. Yeah, almost like a... TV show, you know, you're yeah. going like episode by episode is a different thing. An and ensemble occasionally, cast. Yeah, and then the cast will sometimes link up or adventures might link up. So that's what I'm trying to do in almost like an MMO format. So just this massively multiplayer online D&D game. It's pure chaos and I love it to bits. And I think so far our Discord has about 30 members. So that's mm-hmm. 30 players. I think we've that's got a, a team lot. of six. Yeah. But six DMs, which is nice. So that's my think tank that we've got brewing. And it's just, I want to use the term organized chaos <laughs> in the best possible way. Because there's just so much going on all the time. Yeah. Well, how long have you been um, running this? How long has this been rolling around in your brain? Okay. So originally it was, so my original group of players, we've been playing for about two years and I had about seven players, but obviously over time, scheduling conflicts and obviously the perks of being an adult meant that we couldn't play as regularly as we could do. So that was issue number one. Issue number two was, I have so many people that I've always just been like, man, I'd really love to play D&D with this guy or this yeah. girl, or you might actually really enjoy it. Or someone talks to me and goes, oh, I used to play D&D, but I stopped because of this. So then number two flag, I'm like, all right, how can I get these people in my game, but not just, you know, guest starring or something yeah. like that, like have them actually impact on what's going on. And then, yeah, after just kind of reading around and everyone's like, oh, there's this, you know, this taboo game subject that people do called a West Marches. It's not quite like Adventurers League, but it is kind of. So 
by diving through the archives of the internet, I've then cobbled together, yeah, the adventuring with advantage, which is just trying to make sure that I can have everyone and more be able to play if they want to, but with the luxury of their own scheduling. Mm-hmm. So is it something like a every night of the week there will be a game and you can sh- you show up when you're available or is it a little bit more like on these nights there will be a game and you sign up um ahead of time it's more so at the moment it's very player driven so mm-hmm. i encourage so i'll post a job up on my job board um and then the players will discuss in my little team building chat and be like, okay cool well we need six people to go on this monster hunt who will be available and then we take the six people put them in a group chat, assign them a dungeon master, and then they can then pick a day that suits everyone to play. But I assume that as we get bigger, we might have to assume game days. I like to think we're in a early access alpha phase where we're still trying to figure out how it's all gonna work large scale. Um, But yeah, at the moment, the system works, which I guess is the best I can hope for. (laughs) This idea, it sounds classic or classic play-by-post forum roleplay to me because you have Mm. the Discord server where people can talk and you see the job come up like kind of a a notice board in the Adventuring Guild idea. Exactly right. And people can sign up and say, well, this is when we'll be able to do it. But then you can have private conversations between the characters and they can develop these relationships ongoing, which then during the game you can then build on more. And it's yeah, oh, it seems just a wonderful way to play. Uh, that's something that it's I just very, love that idea when people get to interact outside of being at the table. A hundred percent. So I've tried to make sure that even though I am, you know, I'm the realm master and I'm in charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been slowly putting off some responsibilities onto my players. So my original players, who are probably like twelfth, thirteenth level, mm-hmm. I've kind of made them the heads of the guild so that they you know set up the rules and uh, they're the people who you go for so one of the big dramas that's happened is a job got botched and it's caused this huge political drama there's pending wars and it's just chaos so as a dm i'm freaking out (laughs) but what the best thing i got to do was is the two surviving players i had them join a chat with the yarls of the town who are players and they had to explain themselves. And I oh, shut my mouth, no contradiction. I had to be like, look, you've got to explain yourself. You broke some rules. And just like having that RP unfold as these players had to then be like, okay, what just happened? This team went and did this, but now we're embroiled in all of this conflict that is now going to rope in everyone else. It was just beautiful just to see how one team could affect the whole discord and it, in future games um we've been talking with my dungeon masters to make sure that the ramifications of what's happened then starts bleeding into all the other games so there is that collective world building aspect with the players not just the dungeon masters what they do is going to affect everything it it is a beautiful way of of collaborizing the the storytelling process because again Normally in a situation like that, the dungeon master has to play all of those NPCs, the ones in charge, yep. giving it to the players. You can just kind of oversee and call for the roles as necessary and everyone gets a yeah. chance to role play. If you're into, and yeah. if, even if the people want to be 
you know, murder hobos in some cases, if they're very combat focused, maybe they're just going to end up being a fight if they try to explain themselves. But it's just this, yeah. this fun aspect and it's not even something you have to prep for in that case. You're just the, the mm-hmm. referee, as people used to be back in the day with D&D. It's like you were just there to adjudicate yeah, exactly what they did. exactly right. And I tried to encourage that with my other dungeon masters. Try and have that less adversarial approach where it's the players versus the dungeon master and try and make it that we are just the referees for the rules and the law. Mm. Just throw the players in. So I always do all my roles like very open and I you know get a bit... I break the veil down a little bit to just be like, yeah, I'm, I'm just a player like you guys. Like I was just as shocked. I still have no idea what's going on. I'm just as shocked as the bosses. I'm just as shocked as the newbies. And I think that's made the players more open with RP. Cause I used to find players would always kind of like secretly hide their schemes from me to be like, oh, no, if we tell Brennan, he's going to just metagame it and it's going to be worse because we're less adversarial now. I've constantly got messages with ideas and theory crafting and all of this kind of stuff, and I just love it. That's a a good way to do it. I normally give the players an NPC aid or someone that they can just bounce ideas off who wants to help them. And that way they, yeah. they can ask this NPC, hey, do you know anything about this? And they can be like, well, yeah, I do. And here's my advice. And that's me as the pl- other player at the table giving them advice. But I love yeah. I love your way because that way it does make it a little bit more, you're not against, you're not against the players. Everyone at the table is against the fate of the dice and against exactly the situation. Right. It's like, you're just there to describe yeah. the situation. You're there to say- mm. I look at this amazing world that's there and you get to choose it. I'm just the conduit into that. And yeah, exactly. you tell me what I'm you'll just do. Like go between. Yeah. I'm I'm just here for, for the rules and get to watch everything and mm. describe how it happens. And you make all the choices and sometimes they're gonna fail, but I'll describe that too. Yeah. That's actually the best way I've heard someone describe it. Because I always find when I'm trying to explain how this all works, it's just so chaotic in my brain trying to put it into words is just sometimes i think it just comes out as nonsense <laughs> it, it is like you said it's disorganized well it's i was going to say it's disorganized chaos but no it is organized chaos so there's always something happening but there's always something happening that there's yeah. always going to be a game to plan there's always going to be a job for people to talk about there's always going to be something and it is that almost the verisimilitude of what a real organization would that would be like so it mm-hmm. feels like a lot of work, but I feel like the rewards are so, so good to, to come it's through. So worth it. You just really get so to immerse yourself into this game that's playing. Yeah. And even because of the nature of the Western Marches, if people do get more busy, they can take that step back and it doesn't affect the, the right. overall game. They can come back and go, well, I had to go on leave. I had to go take care of a sick family member. I had to go travel. Yeah. And I had to do all these things. And now my character is back as well. And... What the hell's been happening? And they yeah, get to get filled right. in by the other players. Yeah. Yeah, I try and make sure that where there's an opportunity for a player to provide an in-character information, I would prefer that. And then I just occasionally will need to remind them of something than me just giving them verbatim what's happened. And then they go, well, Brennan said that, so it must be true. Hmm. It's like that having the player character as an unreliable narrator is just so juicy it's delicious yeah well i find that 
players trust the other players a lot more, even though they are that unre- unreliable narrator, that they're going to remember it the way they remember it. That may not be the case. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. of course, they're going to go, yeah, you told me that, so it must be true. And then later down the line, if it turns out that they were maybe a little bit off, there's that opportunity for more RP as uh, the ramifications of it all come out. Yeah, we've had some of the harder jobs that have unfortunately failed. So the teams have had to retreat. I have my players, if they wish to, I don't force it, they can do mission reports. So that, say, if a team was to go back to that job, they will be like, oh, well, this person said that there were zombies everywhere, but for some reason we've gone back and there's skeletons. Hmm. And they Did go, something hmm, changed? how reliable... Yeah, something must have happened, or is the mission report correct? And then sometimes if the player is there, so that character has gone back to the job, then, like you said, the rest of the party are going to be suspicious of this character's interpretation of events, because what they are saying is happening is different to what's actually happening. And, and that I could just also- have to sit back, throw up my hands, and be like, that's the report, report's the report. Oh. It sounds so much fun. Well, how many levels? Because uh, you're saying that the your original players like 12th, 13th level, so they're kind of the higher ups in the guild. And before you were talking about how there's the tier one, just the early adventure starting out. What levels are people? Is it just spread between those those two tiers, or is it more oh. still at the beginning levels yet at the moment? Okay, so we've got. I've broken down the levels into tiers. Mm-hmm. So initiate level stuff is levels one to three. So that's like getting into it uh levels three to seven is novice uh seven to ten is adept ten to fifteen is expert and then fifteen to twenty is master so i kind of stole just cool niche phrases um for like rankings and then was like okay say if you're initiate member of the guild then people know your levels one to three if you're a master in the guild then they're like this guy is a big deal because instead of just being like oh yeah i'm level 20 he can be like, I'm a master mm-hmm. in this guild. And they go, whoo, that's a big deal. We're dealing with a hot shot right now. Do you find people playing more than one character? Or is it just more, I've only got time to one, run one person at this? At the moment, we've been quite lenient. So my current amount of players currently can have up to four PCs. Mm-hmm. So I can have more games running just so we can churn through a lot of the nitty gritty stuff as we go. But obviously as the games get bigger, I will start to condense the amount of players being used. But I think so far I've only really seen maybe two PCs become primary PCs. And then the others are kind of testers. Like, oh, I want to test this idea and see if it works. But then they have their two main characters, which will either be, rotating through missions or however they want to do it because again west march campaigns are perfect for that idea of testing because you can go well this is my normal adventuring group but i just want to test out this this build i want to test out what this personality type is so i'll just drop them into this mission and see how it goes and if i like it i'll continue on with the character otherwise hey they get to go off and do something else Mm. i always like personally trying to jump out of my comfort zone with my characters and try different things. So this system is perfect for that. Mm. So for example, I'm not really a big martial fan. I really like the magic system. I normally play clerics, 
But through this West Marches format, I've been able to try like fighters. Fighters are surprisingly fun. Yeah. I was shocked. I was like, oh, you They're know, so you go in there and hit stuff. But when you hit stuff a lot and you hit them hard and you go, oh, actually, combat's pretty good. Yeah. It comes to be this, this sort of stacking of effects where you're like, I'm going to do this yeah. and this and this, and it's just going to snowball a little bit and it might even open up an opportunity for somebody else because now we've got them on the ropes sort of thing. Exactly right. And less bookkeeping yeah. is always good. Oh, it's wonderful. So I, for a very long time, I was very hesitant to play any sort of spellcaster just because dealing with spell slots, dealing with working yeah. out what the spells did, which ones I had to remember, and it's like, nah. And then I was like, cool, Dwarf Necromancer, that's my guy. I'm going to have to learn all the necromancy spells and all the fire spells because those are the, his two things. And that got me into wizards, which got me into druids, which got started getting me mm-hmm. into, well, maybe I'll start trying some of the, the classic, the rogues and the other spellcasters or other non-traditional spellcasters with some spells thrown in just because I'm starting to like how those work. Yeah. And it is fun to just develop. And those, again, these are the opportunities to, to have them. The it's not even one shots it's or test cases it's just um it's kind of testing grounds yeah and you may find that wow i actually i thought that sorcerer is my favorite class now rogues are my favorite class or uh i used to only play fighters because they're easy but it turns out i really enjoy the thinking that has to go behind a wizard and making sure that i'm very optimal with my spells and keeping track of my effects I was going to say, would you say then that Cleric is your favorite class? Because you were saying before. That oh, 100%. Were... Yeah. 100%. Why is that? I love playing, I call them lovable lancers, just yep. to use the lancer trope. So I feel like going back to being a DM, a forever DM, since the DM's job is to kind of build the story around the players and let them go, I build my characters to do the same. So they're very supportive but they can also be quippy or kind of poke a lot just to get the players doing things. Cause the last thing you want is players just sitting around not doing anything. So by being, you know, trickster clerics or even my favorite type is a light cleric who's very stout and determined in their viewpoint. So it might be like, okay, these are all cultists. We might have to burn them all. And then it makes the players think, well, actually, do we have to and as a as a character i'm like yes we must do that but as a player i go well i what do you think are you going to try and convince me like what do you think we should do and try and kind of prop them up a little bit yeah it's giving them the options of this and even the opportunity for for role play of this is what my character is going to or wants to do can you talk me around or do you want to go in with me and if you do, then we've got a, a, a team going on. And if you don't, then That's we can it. clash later on. Yeah, because you're never playing by yourself. So you should always try and make sure that you're thinking about the team. So one of my current characters who was kind of breaking the mold, Harlow, who was a rogue, originally was very selfish, money-hungry, typical rogue, yeah. proper scallywag. But then overplay. I've made it so that he as a character has evolved to become more team orientated. So before he would probably never take a crossbow bolt for anyone, (laughs) but now he would hundred percent. So he still occasionally falls back in his Oh, Am I going to get paid for it? Like what's in it for me? But when push comes to shove, he will dive in front of that fireball or that 
prismatic sphere if he has to, because the team ends up becoming his family at the end of the day. It's beautiful. Do you prefer characters that do sort of have that arc? I'm assuming that, given what you were saying before about the the Lancers and just poking other other characters that Harlow might be a little bit more of, of how you generally play, that they start as a little bit of a standoffish type and they develop into these are my found family of, of people around me that I would take a crossbow bolt for. Is that, yes. is that the, normally? Yeah. Yeah. So originally it used to be, ah, oh, you know, I always liked that lawful good paragon and I would support my players just by being nice. But then I find that players aren't that engaged with a nice guy a lot of the time if anything you know you end up becoming that lawful stupid that everyone gets annoyed with where when you can throw in that little bit of spicy chaos to their (laughs) lives it then has them reflect and react on what's going on and they take on that more proactive role because they go oh we should probably deal with this because we already know what Harlow's going to do. Harlow probably just wants to shoot his way out. We'll talk our way out first before we pull the Harlow manoeuvre. Oh. It's, it's also great when Harlow suddenly comes around to their way of thinking. Like they're yeah. like, no, no, let's not do it. And he goes, yeah, I agree. And everyone's like, wait, wow, yeah. we've convinced you. We've when those you moments change. come up, it was ama- even for a player that was incredible because you never really know when you're going to do it. But when that moment is right, and you go, yeah, no, we've. I totally agree. I can't. I can't trick my way out of this. I'm going to be brutally honest, or even just telling the truth. And then everyone's eyes, that you know, the call is just silent because they go, "Wait, did did he just say what mm-hmm. we think he just said? He's actually being honest. What?" And then you know, occasionally I'll slip back in and they go, "Okay, cool. he's still the same person. It's yeah. not a doppelganger. We're okay." <laughs> But it's those re- those beautiful character moments where it's not stepping outside of character, it's building a character more. It's making them more realised. Yes. And yeah. I think a lot of people forget that and just go straight in with the, this is what my character is and they will never change. And mm. the, the whole, it's what my character would do. It's like, well, let's not do what your character would do and see it as growth. Yeah. I think that ties into probably the three most forgetful things about characters is always like the personality, the ideals and the flaws. Yeah. You never really see them get used, which is so unfortunate because I think they're just such powerful RP tools. Mm. And then I try and make sure that I have very group centric ones. And then hopefully if I kind of explain that, Oh, you know, I'm just, doing my you know personality my idea my flaws then the other players will be like oh well, if brendan's doing it and that's really cool maybe i should try doing it as well and i'm like yeah do it do it do it let's go yeah because i think if you do say that i don't want to do this but i'm playing into the character and we can deal with the repercussions as it were these are the flaws i i have to do this and i really don't want to let's let's see how it goes and people are more willing to accept that and they will do the same yeah. sort of thing when other people want to do that too. Mm. And it, as like all things, when you're playing a Lancer type character, it can be annoying. Cause even I go, okay, cool. I have to be annoying here. But as long as you don't, you've got to know your boundaries to not push it too far. Cause I think I also, that's another thing I see with a lot of players is they never quite know where that line is drawn yeah. until they cross it. 
and then obviously all hell breaks loose. Yeah, all hell breaks loose and it beca- does become sort of an issue at the table where it's like, okay, everything's kind of grinding to a halt now while we mm. we sort out this, but the orcs are just kind of around the corner waiting going, yep, we're going to attack you eventually. You just finish yeah, the conversation. Yeah, checking their hourglasses. Yeah. Like, oh. They're, st- they're still arguing. I mean, how long maybe, is that? Like two sunsets? Yeah. Okay. Maybe we, we could just sneak away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're not going to notice. It's fine. <laughs> the groups that you have, just thinking that um, you're mentioning that a lot of them are realizing once you do the these role players um, ideas that they start to think about them as well. Are they mainly new players that are coming that are part of the the game, or are they a little bit more experienced? Because I'm assuming you've been playing for a while. Yeah, so thinking about the timeline-wise, this the whole Adventuring with Advantage project has probably been going the last, I want to say, six months. It was definitely halfway into 2020 that I really kicked it off. And most of the time it was experienced players coming in. And it was good to not only see their play style, but combat their play style and kind of iron out iron out those little kinks so instead of being so combat focused be like okay well what about the rp aspect of your characters or what about the more social aspects of the game like yes you can be the fighter that goes in and hits things but how would you interact in a situation where you can't fight your way out of it and then the player goes oh that's a good idea What, what would i do and i go well what's your personality like and then they immediately go oh what is my personality like? I don't know. And they go, well, have a think about that for a second. I'll get back to you. And then you kind of cycle through. And again, with the West Marches, the different play styles, you put up a job saying, look, we need to hunt a bar east or something. The people who prefer the combat can sign up for that. Yes. And they can have the game they yeah. want. And the people who want the little bit more, I guess, role play heavy, social aspects heavy, can do a different job or see the jobs yeah. that lead down those cracks as well. Yeah, that's 100% right. I always make sure that when we're posting a job, we have to throw some form of meta knowledge in there so that you know what you're signing up for. If you're going for a monster hunt, you know there's probably going to be a lot of survival situations, being out in the wilderness, and obviously combat. If you're going to a a ball, probably not a lot of combat, but probably a lot of intrigue and social situations. So then it also stealth is robbed from the wall. Yeah, exactly right. But I find my favorite jobs have been where someone against type will go on the monster hunt just for the adventurous experience yeah. and then seeing how their way of playing affects everything else. So obviously mm-hmm. if a bard who's normally a sing-songy social type goes on, you know, a bank heist, okay. how does that play into the fact that this guy is a showboater? He mm-hmm. rides in attention how would he go in a stealth situation turns out it's not very well but it's fun exactly right it was great fun that sounds fantastic and it is it's that challenge of this character's already interesting what if they had to do this too yeah that sounds fantastic i haven't done a bank heist yet i'm gonna have to make some notes and um and get onto that one yeah i find magic it's kind of like investigations magic can sometimes be like the cheat code yep but then you obviously don't want to take the magic away because they'll be like oh well the, that spell doesn't work because brendan says it doesn't work and then you're like Duh! see i i always wonder about that because this is a world where this magic already exists 
And if that magic, yeah. like let's say pass wall, where you could just kind of open mm-hmm. a, a wall in rock, the the people that you're trying to break into are well aware that this magic also exists. So they will build defenses against that. Maybe not against you in particular, but against anyone else who is doing that. Yeah. And it may be, I think, pass wall is an example that it only does five feet. So you build the walls ten feet thick. That's right. Or twenty feet thick, and it's like, well, enough people can get through it. But it's not the surefire thing of magic works and you do everything. Yeah. And it's it's a lot more work for the dungeon master or the realm master because you have to start thinking about the entire world building process of, well, just how much yeah. magic do these people know? And I've got to know all these spells that they could use in the situation. And sometimes it's easier just to go, you know what? You outthought me. That's the solution. You've yeah. you've made it in. Well done. Sometimes I do like being outsmarted, especially with what I think is going to be a tricky puzzle. And then they turn around and be like, ha ha, I activate my trump card. And I go, ooh, well played. And you just kind of have to sit back and smirk. And then they see the smirk and the players know, gotcha. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and sometimes that's fine. It's frustrating, but it's fine. Yeah, it's almost just as rewarding to have solved the puzzle as it is to see how the puzzle was made and find the route outside it. Yeah, exactly right. Um, so yeah, one of the other things... I wanted to mention. I mean, this is this world building aspect that I just mentioned before. That you're mm-hmm. collaborating with the other dungeon masters. But do you have a, a story thread going all the way throughout that you're developing yourself, or is it again something that has kind of evolved with the actions of all these different groups? It's a bit of column A and it's a bit of column B. So there's my primary story, and all the NPCs that evolves is still running that is still going as if it was before and certain jobs will hint at this and they'll more culminate in events that i'd like to do for example if there's this big war that's going to happen that'll be a huge event and that will affect future jobs and obviously people might want to go and fight in the front lines so we're going to have to think about what happens when you throw six seven eight level characters in the front in a battlefield how does that play out or i've got two of my dungeon masters want to do their own little story arcs that are sprinkled into their journey so one wants to do a treasure hunt so as players are going on his jobs they're collecting pieces of this treasure map that'll soon culminate into where the final job is and it'll be interesting to see how that works considering how random the teams will end up being Hmm. but i think i like the idea of like in today's world there are so many stories going on yeah why can't there be so many stories going on in our setting it's just making sure that they don't explode everywhere and end up affecting everything so one job doesn't throw a tarascan and then all of a sudden everyone else is like Hmm, how do I have to deal with the fact that there is a Tarask right over there? Ooh, no one's, no one's paying threes. attention to that. We're just all gonna we're just gonna pretend that's not happening. It's not over there. Yeah, that's it's right. It's not real. Yeah. <laughs> Pay no attention to the Tarask behind the curtain. Yeah. Oh no, that's that's great. Well, that's the other thing that um, I want to bring up with these storylines the dungeon masters are bringing in is there the opportunity to bring in personal stories for the characters you say there's a couple of primary characters that players have Mm -hmm. for their backstories and things do you try to weave it in 
when there's someone that is starting to rise up to the, the ranks of master in the in the guild? Or is it still a little bit more that they're already making their story with the stories that you're telling? And that's where their story is going to take rather than their personal goals and, and things that they're just kind of playing out themselves. I would like to incorporate backstories into some of the overarching narratives that are going on. Um, so I do a lot of random encounter charts mm-hmm. and it was only a couple days ago that I had this just brainwave of why don't I just, if someone messages me, oh, my character would avoid elves because he's, you know, a runaway slave. Yeah. Then I go, perfect random encounter for if this player is in this team, why can't they randomly stumble across some elf, you know, drow slavers? And then this encounter might not happen at all, but if it does happen, it means that this character gets that little bit of time to shine to go, oh my God, we have to leave. Like, I can't be here. And then all the other players start freaking out like, oh my God, it's just a random encounter. What's going on? I didn't think it'd be that bad. Or, or even just um, have add them to the random encounter table anyway. And if no one else shows up, they or if that player's not in the group, they can be like, have you seen this person? Just just asking for no particular reason. Yeah. And it starts to become this, have, this interesting plot developing. I've had something like that happen already where... A random encounter, which is basically, I call the man catchers, which are people that go out and wrangle just bounty hunters. Yeah. They came across a group and they were just asking very probing questions like, have you seen these people? Do you know about this event? Where are you from? What are you up to? And then the players are dancing around the subject a little bit and they go, okay, thank you for your information. And then they scatter. And then the moment they scatter, the players are immediately thinking, oh my God, what did we tell them? (laughs) should we have done something they clearly have the heraldry of a potential enemy so maybe we should have done something that might play out in the future where these man catchers might be like cool so if we hang around this area there might be another group of adventurers that come through they could be who we're looking for who knows or free source of information exactly right yeah that's yeah such random encounter tables they are one of the funnest things that I've ever really hmm. come across because they just have that, they are random and you sometimes don't even have to encounter them, but they're they They develop this fleshed out world yeah. just by the, I also existing. force, I force my players to roll on the random encounter tables, mm-hmm. which is even juicy. I go, okay, who hasn't rolled a dice in a while? Ah, okay. Uh, Torben, roll me a D8, and then immediately everyone at the table just goes tense, or on the call goes dead silent. They're like, "Don't you do it? Don't you roll that one? <laughs> Don't you roll that four? And I go, oh, "Okay, let's see what did you get." Oh, and you know, you gotta you gotta get a little bit theatrical, and they're like, yeah. "Don't do it." Oh my god, it's gonna be this, that, or the other thing. Mm-hmm. And then it might just be you come across a squirrel or a random pump wagon of goblins that's gone haywire and you may just leave them to go scattering off into the distance or you might help them it's completely up to you yeah it is random that's the thing yes it could be good could be bad it could be nothing it could be the most you could come across the thing you need right at that moment but you're never gonna know and i love that you make Mm -hmm. them work for it because that puts the the onus and the responsibility for it on them yeah. It's not just the so world ha- against them. It's them doing it to themselves. Yeah. And it's another thing that takes away from that adversarial DMing because 
I, as the dungeon master or the realm master, aren't, I'm not rolling the dice. Mm. This isn't me. I'm con- technically I did make the table, so it is my fault. But yeah. you rolled that dice. You got that one. There's going to be a red dragon. I, I can't do anything about it. I didn't roll the dice. I can't fudge the roll. It's so not my fault. Looks like, yeah, it looks like there's a red dragon coming, guys. What are you going to do? <laughs> oh, that oh, red dragons. They're so much fun. I should, I should, mm-hmm. I have to get a dragon miniature so I can throw more of them at my players. My biggest miniature, because I am a big miniature fiend, all the painting and the building. Um, one of my grandest ones is an ancient red dragon. Oh jealous because he's one of my yeah he's one of my primary big bad evil guys for like the mm-hmm. whole realm itself so I was like, how could this guy not have a miniature yeah i feel that you've got to have that because you can also then show it to the players and go this guy this guy yeah. is what you're up against you may ne- ever never get to meet him but you know he exists and that's enough yeah and just the the, the idea that this miniature is just sitting just right over there you know sitting on the side table he could have a random encounter and the idea that when they roll that dice they're gonna look and be like okay he's getting up oh my god he's going to his miniature shelf why is he going towards the dragon okay thank god it's not the dragon that day i pick up the dragon they go gg game over (laughs) game over man game over (laughs) oh yeah that sense of fear when they see a dragon miniature it's wonderful even higher levels i um had a group and they're probably going to listen to this that quite a high level and they were being chased by a dragon with a rider they were they were really worried they're like we're stuck out in the open there's no way we can take this yeah and they just ran for it i'm like looking at its stats i'm like these guys are gonna murder this dragon it is but a speed bump to them they're like no 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 it's a dragon we've got to run like all right Mm that's fair that's that's existing in the world and being aware that dragons are a threat yeah and i love the idea of triggering that fight or flight instinct in your players where they get that second of being like wait can we do this do we think we can no i don't think we can and then one person starts running they go okay okay, we're running now (laughs) screaming down we're running it's bad yeah okay i'll just put this encounter aside okay we'll just keep running yeah next time that encounter comes along they'll be like oh didn't you run away last time oh okay okay yeah and then it just means that the dragon will just go and terrorize someone else i suppose some other team some other place (laughs) it's always going to be waiting do you use a lot of random encounters when you run your games i do um i generally just roll to see if a random encounter is going to occur at all just the standard rolling four times a day mm-hmm. on the on a d20 if i get a 19 or a 20 yeah. something happens yeah and again i'm not going to know what it's going to be um i know some people are like one random encounter must happen every journey i'm more of the opinion of as many as it takes if i just keep rolling 20s mm-hmm. that's just going to keep coming yeah um but they're not always going to be hugely challenging it might be you encounter a wine merchant in the road who wants to sell you some stuff and you yeah. can say yes no if no he keeps moving that's it and then it's good because the it's almost going at the i want to say the player's pace mm. because if they don't engage with the encounter then you go cool we just move on no yeah. no biggie no fuss although i will admit that i occasionally fudge rolls if i want a particular encounter like if i want them to encounter well it's not really random in that case if it's a, a bandit group mm. that i want to then have yeah. some capture or give information then they're going to encounter them no matter what but if yeah. it feels like that the journey is just kind of dragging on and it's taking too long and there's a random encounter, I'll go, you know what? It doesn't happen. 
it's just easier yeah. to get where you're going with nothing because it's just going to slow everything down and everyone's kind of looking a bit tired towards the end of the session. Mm. I think that's that's kind of just a good storytelling technique in general. You've just got to make sure that everyone is engaged and having fun. And if there isn't, if there isn't a lot of combat and you just keep rolling that wine merchant and your players are just like, oh, we're so bored. Maybe you go, oh, you find a wine merchant, but the card has been flipped. Oh my God, there's bandits, roll initiative. And then immediately everyone's like, oh, okay, cool. We're doing something. Oh my God, I wasn't prepared for this. And there's wine at the end of it. Exactly right. If it wasn't in a Free wine, you don't have to pay for it. All that gold you saved, you get to keep that. You know, you get to make your cake and eat it too. It's interesting because I, I like that you do focus on the storytelling aspect of it. I think a little bit more than, say, the combat aspect of Dungeons and & Dragons. And I know there are other systems out there that use storytelling much more to a, a, or much, to a greater degree, especially when it comes to collaborative storytelling. Have you tried any of these other systems? And kind of a follow-up to that, did you consider any of them for, for um, Adventuring with Advantage? Oh man, what systems have I played? So I've There's played... the list. It's like we could go back to when you started playing and then the whole history yeah, of your game. So I am a fiend for stealing things from other systems. So I've played a lot of the Warhammer systems. Oh, played yes. the Alien RPG is probably the newest one that oh, I just dabbled into. Yeah, it's really good. Very uh, brutal for player characters, oh, sure unfortunately. But so much fun, especially because in universe they have no idea what a xenomorph is we all players know what a xenomorph is and as soon as someone gets face huggered the clock is ticking and your players like we can't do anything something's gonna burst out of that it's gonna be terrible and you're just like I- yes <laughs> have you played call of cthulhu yes how does the alien rpg work or compare with that element of if you make it out of alive you are blessed because I feel that like that would work Good. really well with that element of, of cosmic horror. Yeah. I found the alien RPG, funnily enough, can be geared to be more combat focused okay. than Cthulhu. And Cthulhu handles stuff like panicking, shock, and madness a lot better. Mm than the alien rpg because i found the alien rpg it's more of a mechanical thing not so much an rp thing so the character doesn't have to rp it if they don't want to but i obviously like with all things role-playing game related it's always better if you do but then yeah they're very similar but the dice system is a lot different as well because i think cthulhu is percentile if i remember right where the alien RPG is something a bit more like Vampire the Masquerade, where you just tally up successes and failures and just play that out. Mm. The one thing I will praise to high heavens for the alien RPG for is they have a cinematic system and a campaign system. So campaign, traditional RPG system. The cinematic system is made for one shots and mini campaigns, and it's just, just like, you know what? See all of these rules from pages 100 to 200. If you're playing campaign play, don't worry about that. It's not going to be needed. You can just stick to this. It keeps it simpler. It's made it so much easier to try the game and show people how the game works. Because a lot of systems have some pretty crunchy rules. and They do. Trying to teach people how to... Like, even D&D yeah. is simple. It's the simplest. But then it's not but simple. It's not. 
So exactly right. For somebody coming in, you at the I mean the fact that you have to explain what six different types of dice are before you even really start, yeah. and then you say these are the six different types of dice. The D twenty, that's the only one you need. It's like, well, yeah. Why do we even need the rest then? But yeah, yeah. being able to explain a, a game that's not too crunchy is is beautiful for new players. Mm. So I mean, I'm assuming you played Vampire as well. Yes, big Vampire the Masquerade fan. I'm a big... Um, I played the older editions. Mm. They were okay, but I'm a big fan of V5. Not a lot of people are. You see on Reddit really? places like that, like, oh, this system sucks. Yeah. But I think it's great, but it's very... Uh, it's a social game. Yes. So it only really kind of tickles that niche for certain players, mm. not everyone, which is fine. Mm. I th- I've always felt that Vampire has always been a social game, and that's kind of why it had the ri- yeah. the the heavy rise of LARPs through the 90s, that they were very much Vampire LARPs, because you did get the opportunity to dress up as a vampire and, and go play a role-playing game, where, um, mm-hmm. where trying to dress up as a knight and hit a fake orc with a stick is a little bit more work than just finding some yeah. some black clothes and eyeliner. Uh, Unfortunately, I've yet to dabble into the fine art of laughing, but a lot of people have told me it's good fun, it but can very be. expensive to get into. Yes. Yeah, because it tends to be an entire day's worth of, of thing. Although, mm. I guess if you've got a, um, a server or something dedicated to it, and it can be a play-by-post and interacting, it can almost be a, a LARP where you're just kind of... Mm acting it out when you need to it's not at the the designated game time you're just going cool i've got a couple of i've got half an hour i get to type up my little post i get into this character off i go i've larped Mm. that's almost similar to the adventuring with advantage in a way where even if you're not in game you can still be rping yeah which is interesting i never really thought of that yeah i bring up vampire because i feel like an adventuring with advantage style vampire game would be fantastic it has crossed it has crossed my mind i'm not gonna lie to you good <laughs> so there may be something like that coming up and i say maybe yeah. there probably will be once this the D version kind of settles down a little bit because there's still so much going oh, yeah. on um, once you can kind of hand some reins over to other people and know it'll function without you that's it that's it because i feel it almost feels like every game you could do something like this i mean pathfinder obviously is a simple one since it's so close to DD. but any game with a campaign system i mean something like a a monster of the week game which is my current love right now where they're all in the same organization of hunting monsters and it's like some people are sent off to texas Mm -hmm. this week some people are sent off to la some people have to go into to uluru and find out what's going on there and so you're global Um, a global organization trying to deal with all this stuff. I love monster of the week type of games because I find this is probably what attracted me to DMing when you're flicking through the monster manual and you're seeing all the monsters, you're like, I like that. I want to use that. I want to use that, Mm. which probably infuriates a lot of people because instead of having like these big overarching stories, I'm like, cool, today we're going to be fighting a Medusa. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow we're going to be fighting a dragon. And today it's going to be rust monsters because I've never used a rust monster and they seem awesome. And they go, okay, sure. Sure. Why not? And that's, I love going through exactly like you said, going through the monster manual and going, that's an interesting thing that the rust monster, it eats metal. I mean, that's its thing that it eats Mm. rusted metal and it's a danger for a party. But what happens if it gets into a dwarf mine? 
what happens like yes. let's think about the ecology of this system a couple of times i think there was an adventure in an old dungeon magazine where the dwarves had built a, a steam train and rust monsters there was a massive bounty on them because they eat through the tracks the train is done for yeah. they can't be seen and so it became this whole thing that you've got to hunt down a rust monster if you find it and it becomes this this real threat and if you combine it with a a species that only uses stone weapons suddenly you've got an extra threat rather than just these big bugs running around the players have got to deal with both of them as they get weaker that was similar to a recent job i did about Ankex. never really seen you know i've read about them and i've seen some videos on them but i was like man these guys seem really cool they're just like subterranean kind of like xenomorphs in a way they just pick up grab things drag it under gone tremors and how that would affect so this one town was just plagued by them and how that town was affected because no one would go there because you'd travel on the road and keg will get you drag you down so so much the economy was blasted that the local tavern owner was like look we need to pull together what money we can and see if some adventurers will come in and deal with it and they did job success but some of the young kegs got out and now so there's spreading. always that lingering wow. threat now of ooh, it's a temporary fix because you know where there's one arm keg could turn into two could turn into 12 and then the problem comes back again yeah oh that sounds fantastic i mean i just love that idea of a story because it doesn't even have to be this monster is a big threat that it can just be mm. there's a lot of them or it's a little bit smarter the or the the situation means that it's a i mean jaws is the best example that you just yes don't go in the water for a couple of weeks they close the beaches the shark eventually goes away but mm-hmm. it's holiday season there's a big festival going on it's tourist season they just yeah they you got to deal with it you got to deal with it right now and it becomes a story of why it is a problem and yeah. i think i mean again it's the storytelling and the the rules and the combat and all the crunchy stuff around it is just the game you're playing the story is what we want to tell that's what we want to get the the catharsis for at the end and exactly right kind of speaking of the end we are uh coming to the end of the the time we've got to to talk today unfortunately um so again i might get you to tell people where they can find you online um and if they're interested in adventuring with advantage where they might be able to sign up so you can find me on youtube twitch twitter facebook all under brendo's brain i'll have a nice cool purple brain with red cogs so that you know that it's me uh feel free to hit me up on there uh adventuring with advantage we are currently going to be working on facebook page youtube channel so just make sure you keep an eye out for that but if you're following brendo's brain you'll definitely be getting all the links because i'll be spamming it like a madman yeah thanks so much for having me jeremy that's all right this has been really fun uh and of course the last thing i ask all of my guests to do is to say farewell to our listeners uh preferably as one of your characters so maybe harlow could bid farewell to our wonderful listeners all right well uh, seems like i've gotta go it's been a pleasure i'm just gonna take okay see ya